Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I will personally be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'm going to do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, no stale stories, and no outdated tools and techniques. These sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. For more information, just visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Well, usually on HR Oxygen, we try to give you the overworked, overwhelmed, overstressed, and often underappreciated HR professional uh, topics on wellness and topics on mindfulness and those sorts of things. But today is one that I think you'll really enjoy. Now, I actually interviewed our guests for our sister podcast, the Boss Builder Podcast, but after meeting with them, I decided I'm going to go ahead and include it on this channel as well. Our guest today is Minter Dial. Now, he is the author of a new book on leadership, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. Minter is a, he's, he's a, he's a big deal. He's a professional speaker. He's an author. He's a consultant. He's a world traveler. He has a place he's living at right now in the UK. He has a place in France. And the guy has a ton of experience. He's a great storyteller. It was a great interview. But what I want you to take from this is the power of bringing your essential self to your leadership role. And as an HR professional, this is the kind of thing that gets you to the table and keeps you at that table. So uh, probably don't play this one out loud because he uses some bad words and I kind of followed suit a few times. But I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. So let's quit talking about the man. Let's talk to him. You know what you do now, right? It's time to tuck that personal item under that seat in front of you. I'm trying to make you miss flying, right? Since we don't do it anymore. Um, and, oh yeah, you know what? Time to listen because the flight attendant is getting ready to make that famous announcement. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Mentor Dial, welcome to the show. Hey, Mac, thanks for having me on the show. It is really a privilege. We spoke a few months ago, and now here we are in the new year, and uh, with the new year comes a new book, and we're excited to talk about your upcoming book, You Lead, and we're going to be looking at that today. But, Mentor, you've got such an interesting background. I was hoping you could share your journey with us, and then we'll get digging into this book together. Well, thanks, uh, Mac. So my journey, um, I'm 56 years old. I've changed countries 15 times. I've changed homes 34 times. I, I feel like I don't belong to any one country. Uh, and I've had the extraordinary privilege of working in 15 different industries in my life. So basically, I've seen a lot, done a lot, but I'm good at nothing. Okay. That is a, that's like a cursory version of my, my life. 
Yeah, well, you're obviously good for something because I'm good for a lot of things and I don't have near the journey or the experiences and we're about the same age. So I am totally impressed. Now, where are you speaking to us from today? Are you in your place in France today? No, so I, I have a small place in Paris, but we have been locked down in London, West Kensington, London, where I've been with my wife and two kids living since 2011. Okay. So what so is that? By the way, that's the longest time I've ever lived in one country. <laughs> wow. Okay. But well, that's still pretty impressive. So now in your version of lockdown over there, which is different than ours here, they lock it down, but people sneak out. Uh, <laughs> what's it like over there? Are people pretty obedient these days? Well, so the, 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 the it's mostly what we're not supposed to do. So you pay attention to that, which means we can kind of do anything else. So the, it's always a little bit funky, but uh, I, I feel that in the good news side of it is that we have a little bit of agency as to what we do. And uh, so basically that means we're allowed to go for runs, we're allowed to do shopping, uh, but we're basically tied down, but there's a little bit of a flexibility. So if you're going absolutely crazy, you need to get out, that's okay. Yet, I heard that today, that um, uh, our prime minister is thinking that the the end of this is going to be in April, so it's how I think we're in for a long time. And I, the allegory or image that I have, Mac, is I used to I used to be an athlete. I mean, I, I, maybe I still think of myself as an athlete, but um, and I think of uh, I used to be a, a 100 and 200 meter runner. You see, we got we got told at one point back in March, hey, let's go do a 100 200 meter race. And we, oh, that's great. So I, I got, I'm, I can do that. I'm 56. I can do that. I stretch a little bit, mana, and I run 200 and I come around. So you always start in the bend, down the flat, straight down to the end. We've got another 50 meters and there's a big PA announcement. Um, hello, everybody. Um, we're going to be doing um, 400 meters. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so all of a sudden, oh, pull back. And then you start trying to, you know, I got to get to 400. That's a long sprint. I'll get there. So you, you, you stretch your legs out. You're moving along. We go around the bend again, down the straight and come around. And then all of a sudden, PA. Uh, hello, folks. Hello, folks. They were going 1,500 meters. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I need to jog really slowly. I'm never going to get there. And I feel like the announcement today is like, hey, uh, PA, hello. Hello, system. Hello. Uh, we're going to be doing five miles. Oh, boy. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I don't think anybody's got a true handle. Are you all getting the vaccines over there now? So they are talking about it. Uh, you know, there's, again, narratives in the press. Um, it, they seem to be rolling it out rather well in Britain mm -hmm. for having approved in Britain early uh, one of the vaccines. And I'm hearing that there are um, millions of of the aged population who are getting it or have it, you have to do one and then another. So it seems to be rolling out. I've yet to been uh, text and told, hey, Minter, we need you uh, to come in for a vaccine. Yeah, I think you and I are probably too young. We're probably at the end of the line, you know, they'll let yeah. the teachers and first responders and whatever. So yeah, are, are, now how are people thinking about the vaccine? Because I know here we've got a small, fraction of our population that's anti-vax. They were anti-vax before this was a thing. Uh, but are people pretty willing over there to roll up their sleeves or pull their pants down or however you all get it over well, there? Well, we, we follow the queen, of course. Um, mm. 
who did vaccinate it. But um, no, I think on balance, there's a, a large enough swath of people who are, are going to be okay with taking the vaccine. I think if, if essentially if you're older, it is the only thing to do. Mm -hmm. And then the question then becomes for the younger, because they're first of all, not going to be hurt by it in the first place. Do they want to do it? And, and I think that within vaccinations, there's there's basically no argument. This is my opinion. There's no argument that vaccinations are great. They, they have a purpose. The issue is how many, how often, and the, and the fact is that there are always, there are challenges with too much, especially with the way that the uh, vaccines are, are, the carriers within it, the, whatever the metals they have in it. So, but on balance, I think that we'll see most people take it. The issue is, is it going to be in time? Yeah, that's true. And, you know, are we going to do this every year? Is it going to work? And the big one I wonder is, you know, are people going to wake up at night and go chew their arms off or whatever weird effects from it? So, yeah, yeah I figure by the time it gets around to me, we'll kind of know some of those answers, you know? Yeah, one of the things that I think is is relevant in all of this is that this has been an existential crisis. And, and we are all confronted with this idea of death. So for some, it's closer than it is for others. But for even for the younger people, they're hearing about it. It's talking about it. We're we're all now in this sort of big boat of oh, everyone could die. Of course, that's not the truth, but that's sort of the feeling. So it's created this existential crisis for up and down the age groups, and I think that's that's the interesting thing to look at as far as running businesses is concerned, and that from a look at the employee standpoint, as well as how the customers and consumers are going to be operating differently within a, an existential crisis. Yeah, well, I think people have learned a lot about themselves. I think people have certainly shown a good side of themselves. Most people have been quite happy to bear the bad sides of themselves. Essentially, I think people have learned to be more essentially themselves which is sort of a good lead in to what we want to talk about today, which is the book, right? Now you've written several books and you've spoken at many conferences. You've been around a lot of places and a lot of people. So I think you are certainly an authority on this, but when we talk about being fully yourself, what do we mean by that? Great question. Really? In the end of the day, the, it's a nuanced response. And, and to, if I could start with the fact that, it's very unlikely you ever know yourself fully. Even the most Buddhist monk will still have challenges having a hundred percent forever understanding of him or herself. So the, the effort is to try to know more yourself. And, and as far as you're honest with yourself, then there's a chance that you will get to know yourself more fully. So, the, the idea is really understanding both your strengths, your weaknesses, and most importantly, the dark side, the things you have imperfections on and learning to embrace them. In, in my mind, to link it back to my prior comment, when you think about your dark side, your, the things you'd rather not people hear about, I kind of parallel it with the fact that we will all die. It's something we don't really want to face but we must. And so the quicker you're able to embrace the, the, the imperfections you have, then the more likely you are to get a better grip on who you are as a full individual. So this would take a conscious choice, right? Because I think if you're not ready for it, very few people are even interested in talking about weaknesses. 
But then we got the dark side too. So if I'm going to do this journey, uh, where do I begin? I mean, and how do you do it? Is it something you close your eyes and think about? Do you do a 360 survey? How does a person figure out like the the core of who they are? Well, <laughs> it's a great question because at the end of the day, there there isn't a single answer. The first one is I want to do it. And, and then you have to sort of look at yourself in the mirror. There's nobody who's going to help you do that. There's no song you can listen to that really exposes you to the need. Then once you do it, basically, you know, you know your dark side. Then you just need to lean into it. And the challenge for, for many people is I don't like that dark side. And so the, the second thing then is once you've identified that you don't like it, you need to try to understand how it's come around, why it's there, what purpose is it serving? And, and, and don't shun it. There's a reason for it. And it might be back in your childhood. It might be for some other thing you're trying to compensate for. And, and it's just about introspection. And you don't need to see a shrink to go do this. It just, it's about having that time spent thinking about yourself. Where I so that that's sort of on the darker side of this thing, and really embracing your imperfections, your vulnerabilities, and let's say worse than your imperfections, the things you're not so proud of. You don't then need to speak about them necessarily, because in the end of the day, you know, if I'm an axe murderer, Mac, I better not tell people. But once I've identified I'm an I'm an axe murderer, then I need to work on why I am and how can I improve that, because that's not good. So that then depends on your ethical construct. The thing that I like to focus on, though, is once you've got a good, better grip of that, then is to think who you want to be. And then once you've intentionally looked at who you are as, a, as, as deeply and as honestly as you can, then you can start really crafting your real path to who you want to be, which includes improving the things which you're not happy about or proud of. Is if you haven't looked at them in the first place, then it, whatever you're trying to be is just going to be a mirage. And that's where people fail. And then they have chips on their shoulders. And then they're trying to cover up this other thing which they know about, but they're not prepared to let it go and understand it, really. And therefore, you can't really get to a genuine you. Okay. So what is the difference between a weakness then and the dark side? Mm -hmm. All right, for example, I'm terrible at numbers. That's a weakness. Okay. Dark side is I, I have something I'm not proud of with on an ethical level. So it might be that I stole a bicycle. That, that let, let's be, you know, let's, <laughs> I didn't ever sure. steal a bicycle, but I definitely have stolen things from a shop. And uh, I'm not proud of that, but I did. And that's something, that's, that's a darker side where there's ethical okay. and legal components to it. Whereas, you know, I'm not good at numbers. That's a weakness. I'm not good when people cry. That's a, that's a vulnerability, but it's not an ethical issue. So when a person goes and does this soul searching and starts to pull out the dark side, assuming they were to talk about it, do you find that people in their inner circle are surprised by it? Or in many cases, have they known this all along? And we always thought it was a secret. Uh, also, of course, there's so many things that drop in the mind, but I think on balance, it's a surprise. We, okay. we, we, if my network is this and I chose to be a friend with Mac, 
well, then I'm going to imagine the good things of him. And I like Mac and I hang out with him. And I'm not going to look at these other things. I might, it sort of maybe speaks about me as an individual, the way I perceive somebody. I want to look for the good in people. And so it might come as a true shock to me that somebody I know in my circle, because I like to say, you are your network. And so if my network is filled with people who have ethical and immoral baggage, then I'm, that, that, that actually does shine on me. So I may, I may not always have the, the proper filter and regard. I mean, ideally, if I see poor ethical behavior, then I will decide to cut the, cut the cord. And, I, and I, it makes me think of um, Travis Kalanick, the, the, the founder of Uber. He, for 20 years, was known to be not the nicest person. Great ambition, great idea, great company, great UX, all right, fine. But for 20 years, it was well known that he wasn't really ethically good, the way he managed people, what he did with certain individuals. And so what he did is he crafted a group of people around him who weren't prepared to say, hey, Travis, you're a dick, stop it. So you are your network at some level, and you have to make choices. And if someone crosses the ethical line, you know, of course, you do stay friends to people because that's friendship and loyalty. But you need to know where your ethical line is. So, and you can still be in my circle here, Minter, even though you stole a bicycle. I'm good with that. Um, but let's assume now that a person who is in a leadership role decides to take this journey and do the introspection. Are they going to be more prepared to lead people than someone who is choosing to compartmentalize those things? And, and how would that work? All right. So the, the answer is there might be short-term pain. And you, 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 you sort of need to eventually bring people along on this journey. The reality is there are many people who don't do this work that do a fine job. Bring in the numbers, things are fine. And so you don't necessarily need to do it for the short term. You can still perform. But the challenge is developing a trusted group of people around you over the long term. And so let's say I, I haven't done it and I don't wish to do it, well, you may not fall off the cliff. I don't think there's necessarily a real risk right away. But there is over the long term, like the frog in boiling water, the problem of being compassmentous with yourself, the way you are, and developing, and and the trust that you're developing with the people around you. Because if I'm always only presenting not only not all of me, but just the best of me, which isn't the whole of me. The, the reality is people don't trust perfection. It becomes a bunch of bullshit and you know it. So they might do what you're asking them to do because they're, that's an order. But over time, I, oh shit, I'm just going to do it because he told me. But I, I'm not going to do an, a smidgen more than what he asked me for. And that's sort of what happens with that sort of lethargy or entropy, which happens over time. And that's why you have 70% of people in companies declaring that they're not engaged at work. They might be doing what they're told to do. They might be working hard, but they're not working with alacrity. They're not working with that discretionary energy, which drives them because they trust their leader and they believe in what they're doing. So this could actually unleash somebody to increase their level of engagement if they can at least feel like they can trust or relate better to their leader because their leader has flaws. Is, did I sum that up correctly? Yes, you did. And so once you've identified who you are and you, you, you have a better picture of yourself, then the next 
important part of that is understand why you're doing the work that you're doing. Because you might get total transparency on who I am. I now know myself, Minter, da 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 da. And, but I'm selling widgets. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? I'm mm -hmm. getting a big paycheck at the end of the month. I sold 110% of my, my target, but all I'm doing is selling widgets. And how does that resonate with me? So just like, let's say, you know, you can take an order, you do the order and you, you're happy. You've, you've achieved that, but it's a limited engagement, if you will. And so once you have tapped into that, you are then understand why you're doing what you're doing, why that's linked into constructing who you are. Then you need to give your employees and your team the opportunity to do the same things. Don't pigeonhole them, listen to let give them space, encourage them to do the same thing so that they not only know themselves, but know why they're working with you. So for someone that let's say they're a leader and they want to go down this path right now, in your experience, how long would it take before the followers start to realize, okay, something's up and I'm seeing a legitimate change here. Does mm -hmm. it happen pretty quickly or is it going to take a little time? Uh, my experience is it took time. Even it took time for me. Because actually, I, I certainly didn't embark on this journey right away. I was in the wear a suit, wear the tie, do the business, follow the orders. And that moved along for basically the first 10 years of my life. I didn't know of professional life. I didn't really know any different. I didn't think of it any other way. And then eventually I, I got into it. But I didn't turn overnight and say, oh, bingo, I got it. I had to, the, the ideas had to foment and then I had to start displaying the behaviors. But even then, it's like, well, that's different. That doesn't necessarily gain me traction right away because like, you know, trust doesn't happen overnight. And, and just because you're doing it, oh, well, you're doing it for other reasons. They might be suspicious. There are lots of reasons why people don't necessarily buy into your stuff right in the way. Ultimately, it's a long, it's a long tail. It's a long game. And you need to not just talk about it, but, well, I, I would certainly encourage you to bring people along the journey. Hey, you know what, Mac? I, and I'm going to tell you this is a true story. When I was at L'Oreal and I was like very keen on figuring out who I was, I hired a coach. And so he's a life coach. His name is Clément. And uh, I just actually spoke to him this morning, funnily enough. And, and he just completely rocked my boat. And then once I'd sort of gotten comfortable with where he was taking me, then I had to bring on my wife and I say, listen, Yendi, I've been doing this work. This is what I've discovered. It's kind of interesting. She's like, well, I could have told you that. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you did tell me that, but I didn't hear it. And so I, I eventually brought on my smaller circle. Then I had bring my close, closer circle at work as well. And then, so I told them about it. But the key point is the actions. What are you actually going to do about it? And so I have, I have a strong desire and intention to render visible my thoughts about this. So I'm going to give an example. You've got a green poster behind you. I have a green. So in my calendar, I like to use colors to render visible my activities. And so I have one activity that I color purple that really speaks to me being me and me being in tune with my purpose. I have a second one, which is my green meeting. And that's because I always want to meet new people, discover them, and elevate the debate. And so I color my green people every once a day. I try to have once a day a green meeting 
so I can visualize how I'm trying or materialize this concept, which is otherwise very abstract. So when you decided this, was there an event that made you one day sit up and say, I've got to start being introspective? Or was it just a little journey that one day you decided to make it happen? How did that happen? Well, so I had a, let's say, a monumental uh, version of 9-11. And uh, I think basically what happens is for the vast majority of the people who get on the program of thinking that purpose, integrity, authenticity is useful and interesting, is that you have some sort of life-changing experience that moves you from what's interesting is having two cars, 2.2 children, and uh, three houses to... Well, when I die, that's what am I leaving? And, and, and oftentimes it's a life-changing experience. And so for me, I was in Manhattan running a company called Redken, which is for hairdressers. You need a lot of those, right? I would know nothing about hairdressers. Yet. <laughs> but your wife might. Um, that's right. And, and uh, so I was running this company called Redken Worldwide. It's a beautiful company, beautiful brand. And it's signed underneath it, Fifth Avenue, New York City, which meant that Every image that we ever shot always had New York City in the background, whether it was a yellow cab, the Brooklyn Bridge, or, of course, at that time, the Twin Towers. And, and so when the Twin Towers were attacked, I felt attacked. I felt attacked because I was really attached and still am to, to, the, to Redken. And as I watched it happen in front of my windows, because I, in, in I had a corner office that completely oversaw what was happening, there was a... It was a very visceral experience when it's not on the screen, but you see the building. I, I knew the building very well. I used to work 500 meters away or not even that 400 meters away. And I had many friends in the building. So there was a, you know, I, it was not like a through the television that I experienced it. And, and the, the crazy thing, Mac, and as I told you in, offline, at that very moment, I was like, oh, my God, this is my grandfather's moment. So I was named after my grandfather, who was a lieutenant in the United States Navy. And I found the logbook that he wrote in by hand on the 8th of December, 1941, at 0340 hours in the morning. That's just a just after Pearl Harbor. He wrote in the margin in, in, in ink pen, hostilities with the Japanese empire have started. We are at war. And I, I was like, oh, my God, this is my moment. So that was the narrative going on in my mind. And it made me think that, shit, selling shampoos really isn't that big a deal. It's like my widgets. But what's important is making the world a better place. So I got on that journey. And then the key point, Mac, is I didn't overnight say I became the you know Ayatollah of this mission. I sort of, oh, really, I got to get more important. Because I had then... I, at the time, I also had to fly to Paris. I had my four friends who were killed. I had a lot of things going on in my mind. So it wasn't like, bing, got it, got to go there. I then started layering into it. And more and more, that's what was happening. I started having more opportunities to speak about it in committee meetings. I'd say, listen, what are we doing that's important? It wasn't like the entire agenda because we were talking about P&L. We we're talking about factory issues and other things. So you, you know. It's not about being dogmatic about it, but it's just inserting more mission, more purpose throughout the day and explaining why we're doing what we're doing and creating that story and that buzz. And then over, that's how over time it happened. It didn't happen overnight. Okay. But the, the, I guess you would say the journey started 
on that morning when you were looking at your window. So there was an event that prompted it, right? A life, it was a life-changing event. I mean, and okay. it wasn't, who, it wasn't, I mean, it's almost like if anyone's listening to this, thought, well, duh, you know, everyone had it. What's interesting for me is the story you attach to what happens. And mm -hmm. so for me, I went right back to the Philippines, 8th of December, 1941. And I'm thinking of my grandfather in his boat. He, he was a captain of the USS Napa, good wine. And, mm. and there he was dealing with the fact that he, his entire crew himself were now going to be in real war. And, and do you then, oh, poor me, woe is me? No, you buck it up. You got to do what you got to do. And so another factor of that was how am I going to be more courageous? Stand up for what I believe in. And regardless of what that is, it was just about leaning into that courage. And uh, yeah, so that's the narrative that I have to that moment. And then I had other things because I was also in Paris for a couple of other terrorist attacks. And, and it just continued to reinforce my need to do things that are important. So I guess for the person listening today, they don't need to wait for something that earth shattering. They could make the choice today. You Absolutely. just had something that really prompted this to happen. And considering that we've just all lived through a year of hell, I suspect that if you didn't have one of those moments, you probably lived in middle Tennessee like me away from all the humanity. But it seems like this could be the year if you are thinking about it to commit to this journey. And Absolutely. so for so we've talked about the fact that it would take it would be tough for somebody who has been leading a group for some time to have this revelation and start this journey. Because for most people, they say, yeah, here it is January 1st, I'm going to quit smoking this year. And you're like, yeah, give it about two weeks and then you'll go back to smoking cigarettes. Would you advocate announcing your decision or just starting the journey and let people one day say, hey, Minter, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but we like it. So, uh, which one would you recommend? So my personality l very much lends itself to the second example. I'd rather do, and then people say that I did, than generally announce like a marketer will, hey, look at me, how great I am. Look at, wow, I'm fucking changing the world. Um, which I think is some element of humility that most marketers would do better with. I mean, I can't say I was like that all the time, but on balance, I think that's it. On that, that said, from a practical standpoint, if you announce it, there's actually a better chance that it will happen. So that's specific to your smoking idea. Hey, listen, I'm going to stop smoking or I'm going to lose 10 pounds. If I say it, proof or the, the data shows that there's a better chance that you will do it because at, at very minimum, you feel the guilt of not doing it because you've announced that you're going to do it. But for this kind of a big deal, first of all, there's a lot of work involved. You need to spend a lot of considerable time. It's not a destination. It's something you continue to work on all the time. So what are you going to say when you say you're doing it? You know, I'm at step one of a, but you don't even know how long a journey it is. Right. So can go down and let people see what's what's different about you. So you've used a coach. Did you have a coach the entire time you were going through this or did this come a few months into your transition? So what I did is I, I hired Klimo uh, mm -hmm. and that was for about six months. And during those six months, we had roughly 12 different sessions in between the sessions, lots of work and lots of I, I don't want to say tears, but certainly hard pushback. Minter, is that really what you're about? So he, he had tough love 
inscribed in the way he did it. He knew me well enough that he could do it without being so prescriptive as to tell me who I was, because that doesn't work. And, and so there's a give yourself the time. Uh, you need then to do some hard work on it. Spend some time being present with yourself. How do you feel? Your emotions? What's going on inside of you? And then it helps. I also have a great wife who's also able to push back on me when I start going off and saying shit. It's like, yeah, mentor, come here. Come on. Come on. What are you, what are you, what are you trying to do there? So uh, having those kind of people who are able to tell you where you're off kilter, push back and say, that's nice, but not true. And, and that, I think that's, so that was my, that was my journey with Klimmel. I've stayed in touch with them throughout my life, mostly as a friend, because that is a real commitment and bonding that happens when you go down deep into the cesspit of your true self. Do you find that if we're going into that dark side that eventually you reach the bottom and say, well, I think we got it all out of here, or is there other darkness that tends to replace it? Mm. Well, I think that we all, I bet I, I know, I don't know the answer, but I, I do think that we certainly all have dark sides and just knowing it doesn't mean it's gone. And so once you've got your version, it's sort of usually your baggage your experiences that have led you to have these things, because you weren't born out of the womb with that thought. There are things that have happened along the way that you've used and you've created some justifications for why you've become this way, because I need to do it, because I need I need to compensate for the way I was treated or do something better because, or, or you know, do something bad because I, I, I feel angry or I'm upset. And, uh, you know, you're unlikely to get rid of the dark side. But the dark side can also be about your secret gardens, hmm. which isn't so necessarily... tell me about the secret gardens. Yeah, is that yeah. different? No, it doesn't have to be I illegal what you're So you're not growing about. weed in your garden, right? Well, hey, that's not illegal. Um, yeah, and I think... Yeah. That, that's true too, but I, you know, and I, and I personally, ethically think that that's fine. So, um, and you can imagine, I say that if I went to see a rock and roll group called the Grateful Dead a few times. <laughs> but so the the difference between the the dark side, which has ethical conundrums within it, the darker, the bad, darker side, and the secret garden is a secret garden is you don't need to be a hundred percent transparent to be trustworthy. You need to be enough available and, and consistently showing up for people to consider you trustworthy. The secret garden might be little things which are off the garden path, might be a little quirky, not as socially acceptable without necessarily being unethical. And I'll give you an example just to be more concrete. We're going to a party, my wife and I, I see an attractive woman. The secret garden in me, oh, she's nice. I, I have I have an attraction to her. Is that something you need to tell to your wife? And by the way, you can. And mm -hmm. and that, you know, if you have that kind of level of honesty, but that's something you don't need to tell. It's something you recognize, okay, but then you don't act on it necessarily. But my secret garden is I have that attraction. Okay. And then and that honesty with it, if you can then, then you're being honest with yourself about it. You're not trying to hide or run from it. It's a real thing. And by the way, with your wife, you can get to a point where you can say that, providing you have that trust, which says you're not going to go out and be 
immoral or break marriages or be uh, unloyal if that's part of what your contract is. So your secret garden is basically sort of like the the door to the dark side. You can choose to it's a just door to, acknowledge yeah, it exactly. or just yeah, don't just go. You don't have to go down in there, right? Right. So I'm going to give you another example. Privates. The, the secret garden can also be private things. I don't need to tell you how I shower. I don't need to tell you how I wipe my bottom with my right hand or left hand. That's part of who I am. Sure. Mm-hmm. But maybe I have elements to that that I don't need to tell you. So it's not necessarily immoral or horrible. It's just stuff that I don't need to tell you about. So too much information at some level. Maybe people are already suffering from that as they listen to this. But the secret garden is we all, the, the, the permission I want to give is that we all have a secret garden. It actually, that mystery, I like to say that there's beauty in mystery. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly the, the French will subscribe to that. M- many U- mainland Southern Europeans will subscribe to that. The, the idea of radical transparency is illusory because you never know fully yourself. So you need to get off that perfection of radicality and move towards being more authentic, being more aware of yourself and being more transparent. That's what I try to coach and counsel because we, the idea of striving for perfection, striving for a hundred percentness of whatever it is, a, a tyranny of empathy, a tyranny of perfection or tyranny of authenticity, we can't be held up to those standards. It's bound to fail. And, and if we're trying to do that, we will crack. We will burn out. And that's what we need to avoid. There's so many people that are trying to live a life that they think they need to do. And then all of a sudden, one day, they might have a life-changing experience that says, oh, my God, I've been living my life the wrong way. Yeah. Well, for someone who is a leader in thinking about this journey, I think that's great advice in terms of the balance, how to communicate, how to get to that point. So the book that you have written, and it's coming out here, probably by the time this podcast drops, it'll be available on uh, Amazon and other booksellers I was looking. Is this book you lead something that someone who's listened today and says, you know what, I really need to start thinking about this. Would this book help them on that journey? So I I hope so. There are two things that I, I, the book is full of stories. And the idea is that maybe you might like some of the stories, you might reject or react some of the stories, and that's fine. The idea isn't necessarily to fall in love with me. That's not the point. The idea is to, to have stories that beget stories and find, make you and allow you to go on your journey. So the two things I want to say is in the book, I very much try to provide a blueprint, a, a plan as to how to get into this, how to find yourself, and then how much of you do you bring to work? That nuance. The second point, which is really key and why it's the second chapter, is all about the governance. Because as much as you might want to be you, you, you have certain constraints. And you don't always all have the liberty to do what you want to do. So I put this in the context in which your company So if you're an entrepreneur, you've founded your company, you're one of two people, the name of the company has your name on it, you are it, it's breathing, you can be you, you have that license, you're 100% shareholder, fine. The other times you might be an employee in a big company, you might be a cog in a big thing, and the company's culture doesn't permit it. So I'm not asking for people to go out and running around naked and be themselves all the time. You need to understand in your context what's, what's possible. 
and then work towards it. And, and sometimes the answer is going to be, well, I shouldn't be where I am. I need to go somewhere else. But the, the, the real journey that you need to be on is if you know who you are, why you exist, then it makes it so much easier to make that hard decision to leave a company you might have liked, but isn't contributing to who you want to be. And the only way you can wow. do that is once you know who you are, then you're going to start being more aligned with what you need to be doing. And then, as I said at the very beginning, you can really get on the journey of starting to be who you want to be. And there's no reason you can't. Everybody can do it, no matter their past. If you can, and that's one of the things I draw out in the book is if you can picture who you want to be, there's a chance you might become that person. Until you do that work, there's a greater chance that you'll be frustrated at whatever you do because you're never going to get to where you want to be because you've never figured out who you want to be. It's beautiful. Well, I can't think of a better way to end this talk because you've just given me the reason why it's so important. And so, Mentor, for those who are listening that would like to find out more about you and your work, where's the best place I can point them? And then, of course, to get the book, we go to any major bookseller, which most of us just go to Amazon, right? It, so it is. How can, we, how, can we, how can we read more about you and see videos and things of you? I, I want to just say one more thing, Mac, before I say that, which is uh, I, I'm 56. My journey has been a long one. And, and while I, I, I profess to be super professional, uh, an enormous chapter in my book was discovering who my grandfather was. I was named after him. And not only did I want to discover who he was, but in the process of looking at who he was, I was able to better understand who I was. So the encouragement I have is also to look at your family history and, and use that as a journey and, an, and, and a, a stepping stone into finding out who you are. I mean, you know, you can look at your DNA and pretend, well, that you know, means I'm going to be more likely to have measles, more likely to be this and that, fine. But actually, it's just a, it's a, a vehicle. It's a story. And like everything, stories move us. So that's the first thing. And, and as much as I'm professional, it turns out that that journey has been super instrumental. And what happens in your personal life has a super important impact in your professional life. And people tend to want to try to separate them, but allow those doors to open and communicate with one another. As, as to uh, opening doors and trying to figure out what I do, I like to give away valuable content every day. That's sort of my other mojo. And where I try to do that is mostly on my site, minterdial.com. You can find my books, my film. It's on PBS as well if you don't want to pay for it, usually. And, um, and otherwise, I, I try to tweet with valuable tweets. And, and I'm always trying to think about providing useful value to other people give before expecting a return. I also have a bi-weekly newsletter you can subscribe to, uh, or even listen, for God's sake, to my podcast, which is a weekly. It's been going for since 10, 000, 2010. It's great. It's pretty long in podcast years. That's uh, from the uh, dark ages, right? That's pretty good. As I told you, I like to visit the dark side. I guess you do. Well, Minter, it has been a pleasure chatting with you today. And then when we talked a few months ago, you are by far one of the most interesting people I think I've ever had on this show and just a fun guy. So thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you for your really wise words, provocative words. 
You bet. Thanks very much for having me on, Mac. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.